Are you frustrated with your government contracting journey? Do you feel like there's just something missing in your business, but you just can't put your finger on it? Are you finding enough opportunities? Are you struggling to win the few opportunities you do find? Do you have a plan of attack or a strategy for this market? Would you like somebody to review your current approach? Maybe it's time to consider getting a coach. Our team of coaches have helped our clients win over $13.6 billion in government contracts. We've figured out how to help companies just like you accelerate in this market. Market. If you want to find out if coaching is for you, go to federal-access.com forward slash govcon coaching today and fill out a coaching application. I will personally respond to your application and schedule a time for us to talk about your business. There's no cost for the session. There's no obligation. There's no hard sell or anything like that. What I will guarantee you is I will review your top challenges and give you detailed advice. And if coaching makes sense for you, I'll walk through your options. Visit federal-access.com forward slash govcon coaching today to get started. Now let's get into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. Hey everybody, Mike Lejeune here with Game Changers for Government Contractors. And we are going to be talking to our great friend here, Steve Meredith. And I say great friend, Steve, because you follow us on LinkedIn. You're always commenting on stuff. And although we haven't met, I feel like we start to know each other a little bit from that. And so I first off, I appreciate you always following, commenting on stuff on LinkedIn and sharing our stuff and working with us. And before we get into the episode itself, I want to turn things over to you, let you kind of intro who you are and what you do over there. Hey, thanks very much, Mike, and, uh, you know, I, I appreciate uh, all of the support that you give uh, me on my LinkedIn and all of the stuff that you put out for me to share. It's great content for uh, our PTAC clients, and uh, I am Steve Meredith, as, as the intro said. Um, I work for the Southwestern Pennsylvania Commission. We are a procurement technical assistance center, and uh, for those of you who have been longtime listeners of Game Changers, uh, you will understand what a PTAC is, but for those of you who maybe this is your first episode or maybe you haven't heard an episode recently where the PTAC program has been plugged, um, the Procurement Technical Assistance Program was chartered by Congress back in 1985 uh, for the purpose of expanding the number of eligible businesses that, that can do business with the government. And uh, what we basically help uh, small businesses do in one sentence is pursue government contracts, both on the federal, state, and local government level. Uh, and we, we help through a, a variety of uh, different pillars, but it, it really boils down to five pillars of assistance. We help them, we help small businesses get registered as a government contractor. We help them market themselves to the government agencies that buy what they sell the most. Um, we can set them up for what's known as a bid match profile, uh, which matches company capabilities with government solicitations. Uh, we offer assistance reading through solicitations and understanding the government jargon of, of requirements. And then we also offer a bid proofreading so that you can be sure that um, all of the questions have been answered in your bid before you submit it to the government for consideration. Um, you know, usually what I tell my clients is there are two things that PTACs cannot do. Um, we cannot tell the government to give you a contract, and we cannot tell you how to price your product. But any other technical question that you might have uh, in the government contracting space, we can definitely uh, help you out with. Yeah, great intro there. And I, I think for... A lot of people, one of the things that I want to highlight in there is because, you know, you mentioned a bunch of great things, but I see people who sort of get registered in the SAM database. Now, I'm not talking on the new SAM database, but back in the day when it was the original one, um, and then they'd start getting flooded with emails of people that say, hey, your registration's not complete. Let us help you complete that. And you guys can actually help them if there are anything if there is anything that hasn't been completed you can walk them through all that stuff and people that are just new you can actually point them in the right direction and while it does make sense sometimes to hire somebody you don't have to you can go to a group like like steve's group and they can tell you where you need to get registered and all of that type of stuff i think that is a, a very valuable service that people just kind of gloss over because they're like oh well I, i'm not going to waste my time with a PTAC on that, I'm going to pay somebody because apparently you have to pay somebody. And that's that's false. You don't have to pay people that's, to register you. 
Right. That, that is absolutely false. And you are correct. I mean, I've seen clients, uh, uh, they will get bombarded with uh, emails from third parties offering to assist with SAM registration, even though they've just completed the SAM registration. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Been active for maybe a week or two. They'll say, okay, well, give us, you know, 3000 or $5,000 and we'll help you keep it up to date. And what I tell my clients is, you know, whenever you get one of those emails, make sure you take a look at the email address that the, mm-hmm. the email originates from, because if it comes from a .com or a .net type of extension, usually that's going to be a, a paid service. And right. whenever your SAM registration is due to lapse, uh, the federal government will let you know uh, starting 120 days out from your expiration date that, hey, you need to update it. And it's going to come from an email address with a .gov uh, suffix. Yep. Yep. Uh, so just be wary of that. Yeah, there, there's so many pitfalls and scams and things that people get into. And I know that's not our topic today, but, you know, it's one of the things where I had somebody yesterday saying, oh, well, I'm not sure what bid matching system we're going to be looking at and all this. I actually referred them. I said, hey, one of the things you need to do when you're starting off is reach out to your local PTAC and go through some of this. And then the, the next thing I said on there was do not, I repeat, do not pay for a single one of these types of services till you run it by me. You know, just run it by me. Hey, we're thinking about, you know, signing up for this service. What do you think? And and that way I can, because I've seen all the good ones. I've seen the bad ones. Uh, I'm sure you've seen a lot of, of things out there. And we can just say, hey, you know, given where you are, you probably don't need to spend $25,000 on XYZ, <laughs> you know, you need to invest that into a person or whatever it may be. And and we can just give that advice. And so there's, we give away free advice. That's your purpose in life a lot is to do some of that. So it's, it's just getting people to understand, come and talk to the experts and get some direction before you go and start spending hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on this stuff. Because I've found, I don't know about you, but I've found that a lot of the mistakes cost thousands of dollars. You know, they're, they're not cheap. So, yeah, I would completely agree with that. Yes. Yeah. So, so today, one of the reasons that we linked up to do this podcast is I was on LinkedIn, uh, you know, referencing from earlier today, and I saw you talking about contract novation. And it's one of those things that I, I really, I think this is the first time I've ever seen somebody post about this topic and it immediately caught my eye because I'm like, do I know what that is? I'm like, oh yeah, I do know what that is, but there's some nuances here. And I want to make sure that our listeners know, especially if you're in sort of an acquisition mode of, of any sort here, and you can actually understand what this is. So why don't you tell our listeners, what is contract novation? Yeah, so uh, when you go to, uh, you know, I, I, I immediately went to Cornell's uh, law school uh, dictionary to try to find the, uh, the official definition of what the, the government or what law schools teaches the definition of novation. And it simply says that a, a novation is an agreement made between two contracting parties, and in this case it would be, you know, the contractor and the government, to allow for the substitution of a new party for an existing one. So to put that sort of in layman's terms, I'm going to use a, a sort of an analogy or, or an anecdote here. Uh, so if we have two landscaping companies located in Monroeville, PA, we'll just use my hometown as, a, 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 as an example. We have Joe Schmo's uh, Landscaping and we have Betty's Nursery. And Joe Schmo, uh, you know, wants to sell his company to Betty's Nursery, but he's got a, a contract with, let's say, the VA. Um, it, novation would be the process by which the rights and obligations and, and everything associated with that contract is transferred from Joe Schmo over to Betty at Betty's Nursery. And would you say that this is... I'm trying to put the the best way here. Would you say that this happens automatically during the sale of a company or is, or is there paperwork involved that makes this happen? Right, right. No, absolutely. It it would not, it would not happen automatically. This is something that um, all parties involved, both, both, both the transferor, uh, the seller and the transferee, the buyer, need to be aware of. Uh, you know, the, it would be the responsi- 
the, the responsibility of Joe Schmo's company to contract, contact the VA and say, hey, I'm selling my company's assets uh, to uh, Betty at Betty's Nursery, and we need, uh, I would like to re formally request that this contract be novated. And that starts a, a, a pretty lengthy process that we can go into uh, a little bit more in depth throughout the episode of what goes on in, in, into the novation. Um, but it is the responsibility of the seller to let the government know and, and has to let the government know in writing that they are requesting a contract novation. And, and I guess the, the, the two questions that I, I would kind of bundle together as a follow-up are, you know, why is this necessary? Like, why do you have to do this? Why can't, you know, somebody just go and buy ABC company and then just resume business as normal? Because, I mean, they're just transferring the name, right? So that that's one question. Why don't I, why don't I let you field that one first? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a fairly standard question. I mean, why, why is all this paperwork necessary? But when you think about it from the, the simplest terms, you know, when Joe Schmo's company, Joe Schmo's Landscaping, bid on that VA contract and they won that VA contract, the, the government essentially selected them to perform on that contract. They didn't select Betty's Nursery to right. perform on this contract. So basically what the, the, what the government has to do is make a decision through this process, through the process of novation, as to whether or not they are going to recognize Betty as the successor to this contract. They basically have to say, okay, well, Betty's Nursery is, is just as good, if not better, to perform on this contract than Joe Schmo was. And at the end of the day, it is the government's responsibility to get the best value for the American taxpayer. So that's why you can't just buy a company and say, okay, well, we now have the contract. The government has a say in this because they have the responsibility to make sure that they are still getting the best possible value for the American taxpayer on that contract. Yeah. And I guess the the concern I would have, so like let's say I am the one buying this company, so I'm I own Betty's and I'm buying this company, you know, can the government reject this? You know, even if I don't want to change the terms of the contract, can the government say, eh, yeah, we're just not gonna work with you because, you know, whatever reason. Yeah, uh, I mean, at, at the end of the day, the, the government can do uh, essentially what they what they want, and if they decide not to, uh, you know, if they decide not to uh, recognize the successor, then you know, in theory, what what Joe Schmo could do is transfer all of his other work to Betty's Nursery, but he would still be on the hook for the obligations associated with that VA contract, and he would have to see that VA contract through to the end. Um, yeah. Until that that contract was either fulfilled or you know some other arrangement was made. Yeah, and, and it sounds like, and you just kind of hit on the point there of it sounds like if I'm going through an acquisition, and and just so everybody's clear that while I'm talking about this, there is contract acquisition process. I'm talking about merger and acquisitions of a company. While I'm going through the acquisition of the company, is the time to do this? not once I sit down in the lawyer's office, sign the paper and hand over the check. Like that's not right. the time because once you do that, then you can't fix this. Cause I, I could see where if I'm going through the process of the acquisition and let's say I've contacted all of the government clients, cause you, it's not like you can just do this with one client and be done. You would have to do this on all government contracts, right? You are, you are exactly correct. So if Joe Schmo's landscaping had uh, a, a contract with the VA, a contract with the Department of Energy, and then a, co a contract with the USDA, he would have to approach. My understanding of this is, and I actually double-checked with a, a lawyer friend of mine who does uh, government contracts law exclusively last week. My understanding of this is if you have three separate contracts with three separate agencies, you need to contract the contracting officer with each of those agencies to start the novation process for each individual contract. Yeah, because it could be one of those things where two of the agencies say, no problem. You know, it's just a, a filing of paperwork where the third one says, eh, no, not going to happen. And if you did this at the end of the acquisition of the company, that would be a very big problem. Whereas if you're going through, then if you're on the buyer's end, you can adjust the value of the company. If you're on the seller's end, you're going to keep some work possibly and, and have to fulfill that work. So I think there's a lot of 
um, there's a lot of balls kind of flying around here and you know you're you're juggling different you know options that could happen now I would say it's probably more than likely that it will be accepted most of the time as long as you're not trying to negotiate anything on the fly um, right. it, as far as I know I mean that's the way it would work but on the off chance that the government says no you do not want to be through your acquisition of a company or sell uh, of a company and have to deal with this. What an ugly mess that would be. You know, I can't imagine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you really want to make sure that you have all of your ducks in order, uh, you know, when, when you're going through this process. And, you know, I have a, a few sort of essential considerations for the buyer and the seller in the novation process. You know, the Perfect. novation process is, is long and, and it can be tedious. It can be time consuming. But, you know, I, I was taking a look at uh, writing down my thoughts for this episode, and what I found was, you know, I was, I was just copying and pasting FAR clauses, and I thought to myself, well, <laughs> nice. if we make an episode where I just quote FAR clauses at people, I mean, first of all, if you're like me, I run, I, you know, I, I listen to this podcast driving into work in the morning, and, uh, you know, if it were me, I would drive off the road because I'd be falling asleep, <laughs> right? Yeah. So I tried to boil this down to, you know, five or six steps five or six essential considerations for both the buyer and the seller in the novation process. Nice. Perfect. You know, number one, number one is, you know, like I said, this is going to take time. Um, and, and I, I have here at allow, allow at least six months, probably at least a year for the entire process to take place. Oh, wow. You know, six months is on the, the, the fast end. That's if you know where all of your documentation is, you can get it for the government contracting officer, lickety split, and so does the seller, and both the buyer and the seller has their ducks in a row, they're ready to go, right? But, you know, at the end of the day, these are business owners. They're worried about their bottom line, they're worried about cash flow, they're worried about all these other considerations, and when you get into the whole government uh, contracting end of things and the innovation end of things, it's going to take some time, I'm willing to bet, to find some of the documentation that the, the contracting officer is going to need mm -hmm. uh, you know, when, uh, when novating that contract. So that's sort of the first thing. Uh, allow at least six months, probably even a year, for the entire process to take place. Um, number two, you've touched on this already. Determine early on in the merger process whether or not the seller has a government contract. Okay, um, you know, like you said, if you're just thinking about the novation process when you're signing the paperwork in your law firm's office, that's that's really not going to be, uh, you know, very prudent. Um, mm -hmm. Number three, know where your documentation is. You know, the the government is going to request a, a whole slew of documents in the novation process. They're going to need documents describing the proposed transaction, either a sale agreement or a memorandum of understanding. They're going to need a list of contracts between the transferor and the government, and that's going to include the contract type, the name and address of the contracting officer, the total dollar amount to the contract, the approximate unpaid balance, things of that such nature. So paper, lots of paperwork in there. Um, you know, another consideration you're going to want to take into account is, can the transferee perform on the contract? And this is sort of a this is sort of one of those uh, no-brainer type of question, no-brainer type of uh, 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 situations where if you've got a 30-person firm and you're trying to sell your company to a sole proprietor. Um, probably going to raise some questions in the government's mind mm -hmm. as to the transferee's capability to perform. Right. Um, so number three is know where your documentation is. Um, number four, uh, like I said, just I just touched on this. Um, you know, make sure the contractor you're selling to can perform on the contract. And then number five, and this is the, this is the aspect of Novation that I have the most direct experience with, Make sure the buyer updates their system for award management profile once the novation goes through. Um, you know, I, I, I won't go into detail with the, the client interaction that I had. Uh, the, the client shall remain nameless to protect the <laughs> innocent, uh, let's say. <laughs> yeah, there you um, go. But, you know, I had a client that uh, had gone through a novation process, and he said, you know, all that we need to do now is update our SAM profile, but there are some uh, idiosyncrasies in that, so I need your help with that. Um, 
along with updating your SAM profile, make sure you talk to Dun and Bradstreet, and later it's going to be merged into just SAM.gov because mm -hmm. it'll be a, an entity administrator. But for right now, make sure that you talk to Dun and Bradstreet about, about preserving the Dun's number that is associated with the contract. Mm. Okay, if the buyer, let's say the buyer and the seller are both government contractors, you can ask Dun and Bradstreet how to uh, associate the Dun's number that is uh, basically on the contract that is being novated with your company's current Dun's number. They can actually nest that Dun's number underneath your Dun's number so that mm. anytime either number is looked up, all of the information is there about the contractor that is going to be receiving the assets. Um, you know, and, and, and just make sure that you have uh, that all in mind. So that's, that's sort of a broad brushstroke, five uh, essential considerations for both the buyer and the seller in the innovation process. Uh, that's perfect. And, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that about the Dunn's number because I was thinking, you know, there's, there's two scenarios where there's the company who's never – been in government contracting work who doesn't even know what a Dunn's number is and they're trying to preserve that um you know it, we assume they're trying to preserve that you know once they figure out what that is then there's the company that they're already a government contractor they're just trying to buy out another government contractor and they're like hey we don't want to get rid of our Dunn's number even though they're a bigger company or whatever you know, we've got some issues with that. And so having it, like you said, being able to nest under there so they can search both is a very important thing. Because I, I, again, I think there's so much misinformation out there where somebody may say, oh, well, you're buying a company. Well, you're going to have to throw away one of the Dunn's numbers and, you know, you know, good luck. You know, I think that's where some of the information you may get. So that knowing that there's an option to do that means it's just paperwork. That's really all it is. You know, that's that's kind of the government should almost be renamed paperwork sometimes because, you know, there, there's yeah. a piece of paper, you know, it's, that's got a number on it that you can go to it to fix almost anything. Um, you've just got to find which piece of paper it is or website, you know, wherever you know, most of it's digital now. But you just got to figure out where the form is to be able to go and do that. So a question that popped into my mind, because I'm always trying to, to listen to our guests from a, um, a listener's perspective, is so I'm buying a company and they have an IDIQ. They only have one contract, and but they are performing on six different task orders. I assume it's just going to that one and that'll handle all six task orders. Now that may be a little bit more complicated than we wanted to get into here, but it, it's probably going to be just one contracting officer in that scenario. Um, and it should all be handled through that one person. You should be good to go. I assume any, any thoughts right. on that scenario? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, so if you have multiple task orders or even if you have multiple contracts with one agency, my understanding of the regulations is that if you go to that one contracting officer um, within that agency, let's say for the sake of argument it's the VA. Uh, let's say, you know, Joe Schmo's Landscaping has a bunch of contracts with the VA. If you go to any one of those contracting officers within the VA and you basically say, I want to novate this contract, Basically, what will happen is uh, that one contracting officer will, uh, will they'll start the process. They will request documentation to evaluate the proposed agreement. Um, and I touched on a little bit some of the documents that you will need to be uh, that you, that you will need to uh, get. Um, the, the FAR has all of the, the the documentation spelled out. But so the government requests that documentation to evaluate the proposed agreement. Um, the government contracting officer, upon receipt of that document, uh, that, those, that, that documentation, that he's going to notify each contracting office within that agency, within the VA, affected by the proposed agreement, hmm. and request submission of comments or objections within 30 days of notification. So Perfect. it's essentially like he's a priest or an officiant at a wedding, yeah. where he's saying, okay, you, the contracting offices, this merger is taking place, Speak now if you have an issue or forever hold your peace, hmm. right? And then what's going to happen then is after you get that, and that's actually going to start a 30-day clock, right? So remember how I said earlier that you need to allow at least six months for this process yeah. to go through? You already have 30, 30 days built in there 
just for the government to get back to itself, <laughs> essentially, yeah. and say, hey, yay or nay, we have an issue with this, right? Mm-hmm. So after that, um, after the government gets that feedback back, they're going to make a determination whether it is in the best interest to recognize the successor, and then government is going to forward a signed copy of what's known as the Standard Form 30, which is an amendment of solicitation slash modification of contract to the necessary parties, the the, the transferor, the transferee, and they'll keep uh, a copy on file. But that's basically the document that needs Mm. to be signed, sealed, and delivered to be able to recognize the successor to a contract, a, a standard form 30. Yeah. So question that popped up while you're talking here is I assume the easiest way to do this is when the buying company and the selling company have no statuses, no certifications. So it's just kind of a vanilla type of uh, process. I assume it might get more complicated. The sale is going to be more complicated when you're dealing with a company that has an 8A status or an SDVOSB or something along those lines. I I can see where the, without getting into all the nuances of that, I can see how that could raise some red flags in the government and possibly drag this process out where the government may say, oh, well, this was, you know, an 8A sole source contract, whatever, you know, and we we need to make sure that this other comp this new owner also is 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 going to fulfill all those obligations as well. So we're going to dig deeper. I, I assume the more of those certifications you have or anything like that, the, the deeper they're going to dig, the slower it might go. Whereas if you had nothing, again, it was just like if I just had a company and I had no certifications and the, buy, or in the buying company was the same way, it wouldn't be an issue. Right. And I, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. And, uh, you know, as you were talking, another sort of essential consideration for, uh, both, for all parties involved sort of popped into my head. You know, you, you, need to, you need to think about any sort of socioeconomic statuses that either you have or the seller has um, because, you know, if they, excuse me, if they are an 8A or if they're a woman-owned small business, you know, if, if Joe Schmo's contracting was a veteran-owned small business and he's got a contract with the VA, well, the VA may not want to award the contract to a non-veteran-owned business. And yeah. if, if Betty is a non-veteran, uh, that may be a deal breaker. They may say, okay, you know, feel free to, uh, you know, merge your non-government assets, your non-government contracts, but we want this contract fulfilled by a VOSB or else we're going to have to re-solicit it. You're mm-hmm. going to lose out on the contract and we'll re-solicit for the remainder of the work. Um, so, you know, as, uh, in terms of essential considerations, you know, make sure that you know uh, the transferees, uh, socioeconomic statuses, anything like that before the transfer takes place. And what I would say is um, over-communicate with the government. You know, if you have questions about how, um, how the transfer should take place to somebody with an 8A certification or a business with a WSB or SDVOSB, you know, call up uh, either the SBA or the VA, the OSDEBU and VA, the Office of Small and Disadvantaged Business Utilization, and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about transferring my assets to an SDVOSB or a WSB, and I just want to make sure that I am keeping in mind everything that I need to know throughout the novation process. And, you know, one more kicker that I would add to this, um, and I, we talked a little bit offline on, on this uh, w- while we were on the call a little bit earlier. Um, novation is really something that you need to think about in relation to your exit plan, okay? Mm. And, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago, I think maybe it was a, even it was a month ago, you guys had a, a podcast episode with Aaron Andrew from Live Oak Bank about uh, about uh, exit planning. So if, if let's say Joe Schmo is maybe 65 years old and he's planning to retire at the age of 70, um, you know, at the age of 65, he needs to start thinking about, okay, well, here are my current government contracts. You know, we have three of these contracts that are going to expire when I'm 68, but I see that 
this one contract isn't going to expire until, you know, after I retire. So that, that's going to necessitate novation. Uh, so we need to make sure that, you know, we have all of our ducks in order for that. And, and it's just something that you need to think about uh, more far off in advance than I think a lot of people think. Um, so if you're, if you're bringing up to your board or if you're bringing up to those close to you uh, that, that you're thinking about retiring or you're thinking about an exit plan, make sure novation is one of the things that you talk about. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And a question that you may or may not know the answer to this, that's fine, is let's say I, I am in that age bracket where I'm deciding, you know what, I, I, it's just time for me to retire and travel the world, that sort of thing. And I start thinking about selling, but I don't have a buyer yet. Can you start this process without a buyer named or or do you have to have the buyer on you know in contract if you will almost like a in in the real estate business where they won't talk to you and they won't give you a pricing or negotiate till you you got your name in ink you know do you, do you happen to know the answer to that one so you know one of the things in the interest of full disclosure i am not a lawyer right sure and on my on the linkedin article that you referenced at the top of the show here i i put that disclaimer in bold italic letters right so if and it's it's this is somewhat of a legal question, right? Sure. Um, but just speaking from a common sense perspective, um, you know, if if you don't have a buyer in place, I would imagine that it's going to be much harder for the government to novate the contract because essentially what what the government's options are is that you know you're saying that I don't want to perform the contract anymore, right? Um, so they either have to release you from your obligation and re-solicit the rest of the work, uh, or there's going to be some sort of legal ramifications for you just saying, um, you know, I, I don't want to perform this contract that I'm under contract for for the next five-some years. Right. Right? Um, you know, my very cursory knowledge of contract law says that you, you can't necessarily do that. You right. It's, it's not going to be good. <laughs> yeah. Without you know, without some concessions being made. Yeah. And I'm just wondering from, again, non-legal perspective, if there's a way to get a jump start when you know you're going into that process, I, I figure the answer is probably no, but the, at least you can actually start learning, okay, which contracts, like you were talking earlier, you know, which ones, if I were to sell today, it's probably going to take 12 to 18 months for a, a merger, sell, whatever you want to call it to go through which contracts are going to be affected by that, you know, maybe even talking to some contracting officers and saying, hey, uh, but who knows, you maybe you don't want to tip your hand. You've already got the contract, so it's not like they're going to yank it from you, but it, it could right. be something where you're trying to figure out the paperwork side of things and all that. I, I would think one of the scariest parts in the whole thing is is understanding what it will do to your valuation if somebody says no. So like if you're going through... And you're a ten million dollar company, but eight million of that is through the VA, and the VA says no, you're in trouble. You know, so really, really understanding that, and like you said, starting the process early with that buyer, so that you get everything done, because that's the the other frustrating. You know, we're, we're sort of, sort of off the topic, but, but talking about the merger and acquisition side of things, it's very frustrating for a buyer that wants to move. And they can't because you don't have your ducks in a row. That's so frustrating. Right. It, it It's frustrating to me. You know, we do GSA contracts and other things for our clients. And a lot of times people will say, well, how quickly can we get this out? And I'll say, well, how quickly can you move? How quickly can you find, you talked about the paperwork. How quickly can you get your hands on the paperwork? I ask you for, because if you can get your hands on the paperwork, we can have this out the door in less than 30 days, maybe even two right. weeks. But the the average person, when you say, hey, can you get me... Uh, you know, a financial statement, they'll say, well, let me get back to you. And I'm like, you, right. you, you can't just push a button like we can in our office. <laughs> like you should be able to push yeah, right. one button and print it out and PDF it and send it to me. And, you know, so it's things like that, that really hold up your sale and it are going to cause problems. And you, you just, you can't do that. So. Yeah. And I, I would, to, to, to add to your point, right. So, you know, you, you want to start thinking about novation early on in the process of, of acquisitions and mergers. And even if you don't have a buyer, 
right? So I, I would happen to think that if you approach the contracting officer on the specific contract that is going to need to be novated, and you said, hey, listen, you know, I'm 68 years old. I'm going to be, re- uh, I'm going to be thinking about retiring in, in two to five years. Um, you know, so I, I, I certainly don't want to give up the contract now because I don't have a buyer. But if you went to the contracting officer and said, I just want to make sure that I have my ducks in a row, um, I would be willing to bet that that contracting officer would, would be willing to help you out because at the end of the day, I mean, it's in their best interest right. to get, you know, get in on this process earlier rather than later. So if you right. have a heads up, uh, if, if the government has a heads up from a contractor that they're thinking about retiring in the next two to five years, I would happen to think that, that contracting officers would really appreciate that right. uh, because of the amount of paperwork and process time that it takes to novate a contract. Right. You know, and, and unlike magic shows, the government doesn't like surprises. So they, they don't. Right. So they don't they don't need a surprise. Hey, we just sold this and we're inking the deal. They don't they don't want that. You know, they, so I think that's a perfect uh, you know recommendation there. I'm going to be retiring in a couple of years. I want to get my ducks in a row. Uh, you know, the thing that I have found that I, I have never had a tr- had trouble when I when I use this strategy is just being humble and going to a contracting officer, client, whoever it may be. And saying, "Hey, I've I've got this issue. Could you help me?" And whatever the issue is, you know, it could be something super simple. It could be a mistake you've made. Whatever it is, hey, I've got this thing that I could really use your help. Could you help me? And and those words alone usually set you up for success. Just being super humble and honestly, just asking for some help. I think too many people in government. Uh, there's too many of us that are former military with a lot of pride. And, and it's good to be, you know, like that and, and have, you know, a good balance of ego and all those kind of things. But sometimes that can get in your way of just humbling yourself and saying, hey, I don't know what I don't know. Could you help me? Because we always feel like, hey, we have to have the answer or else we're going to look foolish and the government's not going to give us the next contract or whatever it may be. And I think the government sees so much of that where when you just go in and say, hey, I don't know the answer to this. Could you help me or point me in the right direction? Um, it really, I think it builds a lot of trust between you and the, and those folks. So I would, I would completely agree with that. You know, you know, especially in my profession as a procurement technical assistance, uh, counselor, you know, we run across things that change, you know, regulations that have changed in the government or processes that have changed in the government, uh, throughout uh, on a daily basis almost. I mean, right. you, you, you even think about you know, the consolidation of all of the legacy systems into beta.sam.gov. Yeah. That represents an, um, an enormous change. So, you know, if, if, you ha- if you approach this, I've always approached my job with, or at least tried to approach my job with some humility. Like, I, I don't know, there is what, you know everything there is to know about uh, government contracting. So, as much as I can be taught, as much as I can learn, I'm, you, you got to be open to that. And right. the one thing that I would add with the, with, with the, 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 the innovation process, so maybe you're a little bit nervous about talking to the contracting officer because, you know, you view the government as having all of the cards, all of the power, you know, whatever. Um, you know, the other thing that you could do is contact your local county bar association, okay? Mm. Uh, you know, as, as a PTAC, we are not allowed to uh, recommend specific law firms or specific councils um, uh, to, to help you with this process. But, if, but what I usually say to clients who ask me for that kind of advice is contact your local county bar association and try to find an attorney who's the, where the majority of their work is in the contracts law space and or, or has, has done a, quite a bit of government contract litigation. And... Uh, try to pick their brain a little bit in terms of what mm-hmm. the novation process is like and how you, how you can get your ducks in order in, in that regard. And again, uh, approach it with some humility. You know, uh, you don't have to know everything. You know, you're Joe Schmo from Joe Schmo's Landscaping. You really know landscaping. Or That's right. You really know missile boosters, or you really know, uh, you know, uh, tactical clothing for the military. You. You're, you don't have to be an expert in all of the government paperwork, right? right? 
Ask right. for help. Don't be afraid uh, to, to ask for help. And, you know, if you go to your local PTAC and, and ask for help with the contract ovation, I can tell you from my personal perspective, you know, if you have a very, very specific question related to novation, if I don't know the answer, I will certainly hunt that down for you. I mean, mm-hmm. it's either, yes, here's, you know, the, 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 the most uh, common answers I give my clients are, you know, here's the answer to your question, or give me a couple of days to find out, yep. you know, and I'll, I'll do whatever I can to find that out as quickly as possible, but you know, you don't have to know everything, and uh, that's a common misconception I think a lot of people uh, think. Yeah, and you know, it's so funny. People often forget you have the power of the internet in the palm of your hand normally on your phone. So whether it's your phone or your PC, sit down and Google it. Just Google it. You will come up with gobs of information. And, you know, you referenced this earlier. Just type in the word contract novation and FAR. Just type that in and see what comes up. Type in contract novation and webinar or white paper or things like that. And you're probably going to come up with tons of resources on there just to kind of educate yourself a little bit. Because I'll, I'll, I'll say that this is my last thing I'll say about it is the worst thing you can do is go talk to one of your buddies and have them tell you the A through Z, everything you ever wanted to learn about this from their perspective. It's not that your buddy doesn't know the answer, but go and make sure, you know, because I I see so many people, they get bad information from people who've never gone through a process before. Like, oh yeah, I know all about this. And they start going through it and you're like, oh, well, how, how many times have you been through it? Oh, well, never. I just happen. I just happen to know everything. <laughs> you know, it's like, right. no, that's not okay. Let me go get some. Re- let me go at least read the far on this because it's not like there's four thousand pages on this topic in the far. There's not going to be, you know, like there is on acquisition. You know, where there's pages right. and pages of this stuff. And so you know, go do a little bit of reading, a little bit of research. Reach out to some attorneys, that sort of thing. If you can't find them through the local bar, get on LinkedIn. They're on LinkedIn. There's tons of them. Call one of us, you know, you can call us and we'll recommend attorneys to you, you know, and then those attorneys will probably recommend other ones to you. So it's not hard to do a little bit of research in one afternoon. You can feel almost like a seasoned expert on this topic by just doing a little bit of research, reaching out to the contracting officer and that sort of thing. So not hard. uh, And for those of you listening to the podcast, wondering what part of the FAR all of this is contained in, um, it's FAR Part 42.1200 through FAR Part 42.1205. Um, there you so, go. And it, it basically runs the gamut of the entire novation process, you know, the, the, what the process is, the type of documentation that you'll need, all of that kind of stuff. Perfect. Perfect stuff. And, you know, Steve, thanks for being on today. And before we get out of here, what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit more, you know, just a couple of minutes here, a little bit more about the BTAC, what you do over there, maybe even some of the the main things that you help clients with, just so people can get a better feel for how you help folks. So why don't, why don't you yeah. give us, I know, I know you gave us a brief overview earlier, but why don't you kind of dive in for just a couple of minutes and tell us about that as kind of your final thoughts. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because, I, you, you know, I, I think the PTAC program is a wonderful resource um, for small businesses. But I also happen to think that it, it, it's still, in some cases, a best-kept secret, right? Um, so, you know, and, and the, the, the way that I help my clients, uh, let's just say we're taking a new government contractor, uh, a, a, a new company that wants to do government contracting, um, you know, the first thing that I do for them is I try to find out, you know, what is it exactly that you sell or what service do you provide? Give me a little bit, a little bit of background on what you do, and that sort of informs my process of uh, how successful this business might be as a government contractor. So let's just take from a federal perspective, because the the nice thing is the federal government is the largest purchaser of goods and services in the world, right? They buy pretty much everything. And people hear that when I give presentations to local chambers of commerce or local small business organizations. They think, well, that's awesome. But the first question that comes into their mind is, is there a market for what I sell? And the short answer to that question is yes, 
But what the, the question that they actually do need to ask is, how big is the market for what I sell? So what we try to do, and we can do this market research either before they sign up as a government contractor or immediately following when they sign up as a government contractor. But one of the most important pieces of assistance that, that I offer as a, as a PTAC counselor is to do that market research, specifically on the federal level, because you know the federal government is massive. And it's located in D.C., which is a far away from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You know, so reaching out to the right person in a giant behemoth of a government like the U.S. government, is it, that it's harder to find the right person in the federal government. So I focus my efforts on trying to find those small business representatives from the agencies and the offices that buy the most of, of what you sell. And then if it's determined that... Uh, you know, you have a, a, a pretty large market. You know, if if I can tell right off the uh, right off the bat that there is a pretty much uh, pretty much a large market for what that client sells, I'll say, okay, well, let's get you signed up because that's the that's the first uh, that that's the first order of business: getting registered as a government contractor. Right? We've got to re get you registered on a federal level, and if they're interested in state or local government contracting, I can point you to those registrations as well. Um, but, you know, so that, that market research, I think, is uh, such an important component to deciding whether or not to go after government contracting. Uh, you know, and after that market research is done, I, I try to provide those contacts from those federal agencies, those small business reps that buy what you sell so that you can reach out and you can begin that process of marketing yourself to the government buyer. What I tell my clients is government contracting is an 80-20 split, right? 80% of it is going to be relationship building, and the remaining 20% is going to be you going on those government bid boards looking for open solicitations. And what I tell my clients is you are going to be most successful if you engage the government before an acquisition, before a requirement is put out so that the government knows what your business is and what you provide, mm -hmm. okay? Um, and then, you know, after we do the, re the, the, the help them with the registration process on the federal, state, and local level, and after we do that market research, we provide that small business representative or those representatives for you to reach out to, um, and after we set you up for that bitmatch profile that's going to, you know, give you that daily email with all of the federal, state, and local bids that you could go after or, or solicitations you could go after, after all of that is done, what I tell my clients is I shift from being a front seat passenger to a back seat passenger, okay? And basically what I say is you need to make sure that the bitmatch profile is, is giving you results that are relevant. So... If you're getting bid matches that aren't relevant to your company, you need to let your PTAC counselor know that. Okay, you need to let your PTAC counselor know that, know that so that they can edit the, the the bid match profile on their back end and try to get you better results. But let's say you start finding solicitations you want to go after, then I become more of a consultant type where you basically say a client will email me and say, "Hey, um, I noticed this solicitation. Could we have a meeting?" Uh, where we read through the solicitation line by line and we go through and find out what the exact requirements are so that I know what I'm getting into. And then, you know, what I also say is um, you know, once you start crafting your bid, once you start putting that bid together, if you want to have a bid proofreading session where, where I basically take a look at your bid and compare it to the government's uh, questions, I can basically make sure that you've answered all of those questions accurately so that when you submit your bid, you're basically putting yourself in the best possible position to win government work. Uh, you know, as I said at the top of the podcast, I can't tell you how to price your product. I, I don't tell clients how to price their products, and I can't tell the government to give you a contract. But what I tell my clients is we want to put yourself in the best possible position to win, and if you don't win a contract, we want it to be for a reason that you can control and fix. Either hmm. it's because you were priced too high, which you can theoretically fix, or maybe your competition offered a product or service that you didn't offer. That's something that you can fix. You know, what we don't want is for you to lose out on a contract because 
in the notices to offerers and respondents, it said, we need you to have your bid compiled in a 12-page document that's double-spaced with Times New Roman font. And because you didn't uh, change your font from Calibri, which is the default font in Word, because you didn't change it to Times New Roman, you lost out on the contract because of a technicality. That's yeah. what we don't want to happen. You know, if, if we want you to win the contract, but if you don't win, we want you to be able to request a post-award debrief with that agency and get credible, uh, tangible feedback that you can use the next time that you go after a contract. Uh, and, and hopefully that will lead to you being more successful in the government marketplace. Yeah, no, that, that that's a game changer, you know, being able to go through that and really understand what you're doing wrong when you make mistakes. And, you know, I, li- I like how you said it's it's an 80-20 business and really getting focused in on all the relationship aspects. Because people always say, well, how do I find these people? Well, when you do your market research, you'll find those people. And when you do your market research, you know who you should start talking to. And most of the things that pop up on uh, you know, we would say FBO now would be the new Sam beta. Uh, when those things pop up, you should know they're coming. You know, you should have some insight into that so that you can go into it just a little more prepared. And, you know, you at least know who the customer is. Oh, you know, that's Jan, that's Steve, that's Bob, you know, oh, yeah, I remember them talking about this. And you you have some information on it. So hey, we could talk for hours and hours on all this stuff. But I think, you know, it's it's going in being prepared we've we've said that even with through the innovation process being prefer, prepared having your ducks in a row you know even knowing who your customer is or the the question you ask is you know knowing what the market size is for what you sell i talk to so many people that don't even know what they sell it's like what do you sell and they're like oh we'll sell anything you know what you know we we do uh it work but we also do you know toilet paper <laughs> whatever it is yeah. you know they're like you name it we'll sell it if that'll win us a contract they're like yeah that's not how we win contracts uh yeah. you know because I've, I've had clients that do that before and they're like now i don't know i think i overpriced the toilet paper i don't know what to do now I'm like because you're not in this business so you know you shouldn't have bid that contract but uh but yeah you know it's there's so much of a, about this that's just being a little educated, being a little prepared, being able to ask some questions. And then, like you said, having somebody who's either in the passenger seat or the back seat that can say, you know, turn left here, go right there. Um, you know, OK, keep going straight. We're doing we're, we're going to get there. And just having that guidance, I think that's really big. And, you know, I'll, I'll say this as my last point, and then you can say anything you want here. But uh, to me, I think the PTAX and consultants, coaches, whatever you want to call folks like ourselves, we all get a bad rap sometimes because people don't know how to use us or come in with the wrong expectations. And I think when you have the right expectations of a PTAC, a coach, a consultant, whatever it is that's helping you, you will you will build a great relationship and you will do some amazing things. So you guys do some amazing things. I've heard some great stories, but it's it's when people have the wrong expectations. So going in, if if you're confused about that and you're going to your local PTAC, say, hey, here are my expectations so that they can help you align those because that will help you figure out where they're going to be able to help you the most, where you need help. But it, but more importantly, it'll help them understand what your expectations are because there's nothing worse than somebody having expectations and not communicating them. And then everything we do is going to be wrong. It doesn't matter how much I try to help you. If your expectations are for me to just hand you contracts and I don't know that, I'm always going to fail. So you know, be, you know, if you're a listener today and you're going to reach out to a PTAC, communicate your expectations with them so that you can align that with them and you can both win because that's the, that's the thing. Nobody wants to fail in these relationships, but when we don't know what we don't know, it's, you're setting yourself and them up for a failure and that, and that's not good for anybody. So really get, get smart about setting expectations and communicating that properly. And I think it'll be a great relationship. So any quick final thoughts for him, Steve? Yeah, I would echo that point. Uh, you know, go into your PTAC with, with clear expectations and, you know, before you go into the PTAC, you, you need to understand that the PTAC is there to provide tips and guidance and technical assistance, as our name implies, 
Um, you know, we are not lobbyists. Um, we we sign non-lobbying disclosures with the Defense Logistics Agency, which is our funding agency, uh, every year. So we can't tell the government to give you a contract. I, I joked once with a client that said, and I said, you know, I'm here to give you guidance. I'm here to give you tips. Uh, if you think that you're going to sign up in the system for award management and then you're going to get a giant bag of money, um, think again. You know, so that's that's not how it works. Um, so align your expectations and um, sort of what 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 I always uh, try to to remember is you know under promise and over deliver right. So you know don't promise uh, don't promise your clients. I try not to promise my clients that the success. But what I do say is if you take these strategies, if you if you take these tips, you have a very good chance at being successful uh, in the government contracting realm. And the, the other thing that I tell my clients, and this will be my last point for for the podcast, is the two greatest qualities that a government contractor can have are patience and persistence. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's going to take at least 12 to 18 months probably for you to win that first contract. And you need to have the patience to, to, to realize that. And then you have to have the persistence to reach out to those uh, government buyers. And even if they say in Q1 that they don't have a need for what you sell, follow up with them three months later, six months later, nine months later. You know, uh, and, and basically say, you know, I'm Joe Schmo or I'm Betty from Betty's Nursery and, and here's, here's what I sell and remember me. You know, keep, keep yourself in the back of their mind always. Yeah. Um, but align your expectations and, uh, and I think you'll be putting yourself in the best possible position if you have accurate expectations of what your PTAC can do. Yeah, no, I think that's perfect advice. And, you know, I, I had already said that was my last point, but you brought up one. I'll, I'll close with this is, you know, one of when I look through my pipeline, I'm always looking at how long people have been in there. And one of my favorite clients that I ever had took me seven years to close. And we would chit chat here and there for like in during the first year, it would be every couple of months. And then when we got into the second year, it was once a year. I'd touch base and how you doing, what's going on. And in that seventh year, the timing was right. It clicked and we became, you know, we became clients. And so it's just one of those things you never know how long it's going to take. And sometimes when you want to work with somebody, that persistence and patience, I was not patient in the first year, <laughs> but, uh, you know, after about the third year, I'm like, well, you know, I don't know if it's ever going to work. And it just, you know what it did. And so just stick with it. So thanks for being on today, Steve. I really appreciate a lot of really valuable information, not just about contract innovation, but everything else. So a lot of little tips here and there, a lot of bit of wisdom dripped through all this one. So thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Mike, thank you so much for having me. I had a great time, and uh, th th this is a great opportunity for me, so thank you very much. Before we get out of here today, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Do you want to get more out of your government contracting business? Do you feel like you need an edge or some new insights? Are you just looking for maybe even some motivation in the right direction because maybe you're at a plateau? Well, if you said yes to any of those, maybe it's time you join Federal Access and you can start your journey with us today for free. Federal Access is our online training and education knowledge base for government contractors. There's everything you'll ever need to win government contractors in there, including support. But free members can start out with a couple of really basic awesome tools. One of them is our on-demand training videos called Strategy Playbooks. There's more than 60 training videos designed to boost your government skills by covering tips, strategies, market updates, and a whole lot more. And new videos are added monthly, so there's always new content coming in for our free members there. You can also get access to 12 key government sales templates and strategy documents to include a step-by-step -step market sales strategy document, a teaming and subcontracting questions to ask document and two capability statement templates. So you can just plug in your information and rock and roll from there. So those uh, those tools right there are kind of a preview of everything that's in Federal Access. Overall, there's a little over 250 documents 
in the system right now, but you'll get access to those 12 key documents. You'll get access to the, the 60 plus playbooks and the growing library of that is. All you have to do is visit federal-access.com forward slash join. Uh, the link is also going to be in the description of this podcast, so you can go back later and click on that, but that's federal-access.com forward slash join. So again, if you're feeling stuck in your business, if you feel like you need an edge or some new insights, or you just feel like maybe there's some gaps of knowledge that you 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 just you don't even know what you don't know, right? Something along those lines, then join Federal Access today for free. Federal-access.com forward slash join. Join today for free so you can get access to all of that cool content and see everything else in there that some of the paid members get. So you actually, there'll just be a little gold lock over the paid features and you can upgrade uh, whenever you like. Until next time, thanks for joining us on this episode of Game Changers for Government Contractors. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting app to get notifications of new episodes. And while you're there, we would also appreciate it if you'd take a minute to write us an honest review on iTunes or whatever podcasting app that is that you use. So thank you again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next time for lessons from our experts on how you can win more government contracts. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash gamechangers.